I'm going to, I do want to tell you, man, the, these kids, these young people, young adults, were deeply impacted. I believe that. Uh, you, you're going to see these pictures. I, I was texting pictures to, to parents and grandparents this week of some of their kids in the altars or being used, God using them. And um, they were deeply, deeply impacted. It was amazing. It was a, a point I wanted to wait for her to leave because I didn't want to embarrass her. There wasn't a point. A point was that, was that Wednesday night? Tuesday night. Tuesday night during the worship service. All the teenagers, this is in the worship time, and they were all down in the altar. And uh, I, I, was, I was the camera guy, so I was taking pictures during the service, and so I was kind of wandering around that tabernacle. And as I turned, I saw my daughter back in, the, in one of the back rows, just with her hands up and tears coming down her face. And I don't know how long that went, 20, 20 minutes or so, just the Holy Ghost dealing with my daughter. And uh, those, I, I, that's what I want to see for every one of my kids. That's what I want to see for every one of my kids and your kids. Because when I was nine years old, that happened to me. And I, when I was out there acting like a fool, I remember being drunker than a skunk. And I would go back to that Sunday night church service where I walked down an altar and had an encounter with the Holy Ghost. The Spirit of God impacted my life as a child. It kept me. I tried to run. I tried to rebel, but it drew me, and it kept me. Amen? I remember a, a, an, old, an old friend of mine. He's a, he's a cowboy, literally a, a rodeo cowboy, and he's a preacher. And he, he talked about how when he was a kid, he used to go to rodeos. He was a teenager. He was riding rodeos, and he was in van riding around the country with grown men, and they were doing all kinds of drugs and booze in this van, and he didn't want any part of it. And he said he would be in there thinking, Lord, where in the world am I at? And even, even in his resistance to that lifestyle, he began to slip and began to fade. But he said he remembered he, this, this old Pentecostal preacher at their youth camp who used to play the piano like Jerry Lee Lewis. I mean, just like a wild man, just tear that piano apart. And he would stand up from that piano bench and kick the bench back, and he would play. And he would, he would run and leap off the, the, this is at youth camp, leap off the stage, and he would jump up. As they had those old uh, benches, those old pews. And he would run on the top of the, the benches from the front to the back of the church, and he would spin when he got to the back and come back around. And he said, I don't know why, but that image of the power of God on that man kept me and all those rides in those vans with those uh, cowboys. That's what kept him. I'm going to tell you what. The power of God will keep your kids. They need to be exposed to the presence of God. Amen. It makes a difference. It really does. All right, so we're going to get into the word of the Lord. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And this is going to be the last Sunday in this particular passage of Scripture. We're in Philippians chapter 2. We've been looking at uh, verses 5 through 11, and um, this is the, the humility and the exaltation of Jesus Christ. And the appeal, the appeal, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. This is Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Now, I don't, I don't want to rush through this. I want to take our time through this passage this morning, just read, read through it, just let it get down into our spirit contemplate. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let, let the mindset that was in Christ be in you. 
that we would think like Jesus. We'd have the same outlook, the same mindset as Jesus. This is the appeal. Who being in the form of God and did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. He was, he was God in the flesh. But he made himself of no reputation. You think of how Jesus came on the donkey in a manger. He didn't put up billboards. He didn't campaign. He came lowly, humbly. He made himself of no reputation. Didn't put his name up in lights. I've heard, I've heard people say that if Jesus was alive today, he'd have a Twitter account. I don't know. I don't know if he would be concerned with, you know, do I have 100,000 followers on social media? He made himself of no reputation. He had no, no marketing team. He made himself of no reputation in taking on the form of a bondservant coming in the likeness of man and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow those things in heaven and of those on earth, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. My sermon title today is Clothed in Humility. Jesus clothes himself in humility. He sets aside scepter and crown and robe. He vacates his throne and he comes to earth. He's robed in flesh. He takes on the form of human. He humbles himself. The writer of Hebrews said he became lower than the angels, that he might taste death for us all. He humbled himself. He clothed himself in humility. And this is the example that the Apostle Paul is giving us of Jesus in this book of Philippians. This is really the center of this book. It's a, center that, it's a book that centers around a minor conflict in the church, some division. And he's presenting Christ as the way to overcome the problem. How many of you know Jesus, again, is the only way we're going to overcome any problems? You go and read the churches in, in Revelation 2 and 3. They all have problems, right? They all also get a presentation of Jesus. Because the only way we're going to overcome any problem is through Christ. Amen. That's the only way. And so the way that we're, we overcome division is by serving, by humbling ourselves and serving. So this is the, the, the representation that we're giving, give, given of Jesus. You think about it. This, this is probably, to me, the most profound thing in Scripture. The, the nature of God and God becoming a man. I, 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 I ponder it. I contemplate it. I, I, I'm always amazed at people that claim to understand these things. I, I, I remember hearing a man that, that he had his doctorate in, in 
this, this idea of Godhead or Trinity, and he, that, that's where his doctorate was at, and he said, all of these years of studying, I still don't understand it. And then those of us who are Monday morning quarterbacks dig in and get entrenched in position, and we fight over them like we know everything there is to know about God. These things confound me when we consider God, when we consider the nature of God, when we consider God becoming a man, the, the, this child being conceived in this, this uh, virgin's womb. It, it, it's confounding to me. It, it's, my mind fries when I try to contemplate these things. I don't understand it all. I stand in awe of it, that God became a man, that he loved us so much. I mean, if I were God in that position, what would I have done? I would have probably have wiped the slate clean. I would have probably just like burnt the earth up and started over if my creation had rebelled against me. That's probably the way I would have went about it. We don't understand the ways of God. We don't understand how God moves. But this is, this is what God has done. And this was the plan of God from the very beginning. These ideas confound me. I, they're, they're beyond my comprehension and my understanding that this is the way God, how much God loves us. This is, I mean, I'm with the psalmist. Who in the world are, are we? Who is, the, who is man that you are mindful of him? That you loved him so much that you would come and live amongst him. For 30 plus years, 33 and a half years, they say, that Jesus lived on planet earth and dwelt amongst us. But because of this, the scripture tells us that we have a high priest who's able to minister to us. To me, that, that's very comforting. I remember one time I heard, a, I heard a minister say one time, I've never been in a fight with my wife, and I've never been laid on a bill. And I thought, wow, there, there's somebody that I can't probably learn much from. I mean, have you, have you experienced life? Have you been out of the house, like, since you were born? You know, I, I, I... But Jesus, because he was a man, and the Bible says he was tempted in every single way that we are, yet without sin. See, I'm not going to pretend to be like that preacher. I've never had an argument with my wife. I've never been laid on a bill. I've never drank. I've never cussed. I, I can't do that. I've never told a lie. I can't pretend. There was only one who was perfect, and his name was Jesus. Jesus lived a life in the flesh, and, and we need to understand this. In, in his flesh, there was a propensity for sin. There was a capability for sin. He was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Not once did he sin in all of his life. Didn't deserve death. But the Bible tells us because he lived as a human being he, and it was tempted as we are, he is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. In other words, he is fully acquainted with the human condition. He, he fully understands what it means to be a human being. He understands temptation. He understands the pains of life. He understands rejection. He understands every emotion that you've ever felt. He, he understands that. He understands all of those temptations. He understands the doubts. All the things that we experience in this life. 
And the writer in Hebrews tells us because of that, he's able to come to us in our time of need and give help. He's able to come to us and render aid, one translation says. Why? Because he's a high priest who fully understands our condition. And he overcame all of the temptation. He overcame sin. He overcame, not only that, he overcame death because he was sinless. He overcame hell and the grave. And he rose in triumph and victory for us. And because of that, he's able to come to us in any situation, in any circumstance, and he's able to offer help to us. Jesus humbled himself, and because of that, now God has exalted him and given him a name that is above every other name. So this is the model that's set forth for us. You think about this. Jesus came to a a world that had rejected him. The Bible says he came unto his own, and his own received him not. Not even the Jewish people would would receive him. The world rejected him. It's It's a world of obstinance. It was a world of pride. And, I, and we, we see, I, I believe, in, in the life of Jesus, the, the, what, what, what God says, he says, I'm, I'm going to oppose the proud, but I'll give grace to the humble. We see that in Jesus' life. Jesus opposed the proud, those who refused to repent of their sin, even the religious, those who were stuck in tradition and exalted their, their traditions above what God had said. He opposed them when they refused to repent. But to everyone who was humble, everyone of broken spirit, he gave grace. You think about it. He came to the world. You think about all of the pride, going all the way through the history of mankind, starting in Genesis, the pride of Noah's generation, the pride of those who built the tower, to try to reach the, the, the sky. Israel even rejecting God. All, all of God's goodness to Israel, leading them and, and providing for them, bringing them into the promised land, all that he, he did for them, and yet they still reject him and his ways. He sent the prophets to him. All, all of this pride. The, the condition of man, the problem of man, it really comes down to that issue, pride. All of us are like puffer fish. How many of you have seen the puffer fish in the ocean? Right? He blows himself up. Whenever the enemy comes, what does he do? He blows himself up to make himself look big. All of us are very good at blowing ourselves up. All of us are, are, are good at exalting ourselves, of, of boasting. We, we boast in a lot of things. We both in, boast in our wealth. We boast in our stature, our, our, our physical prowess. But it doesn't, listen, it's something that I've, I've learned. You just learn it. You watch people in life long enough. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how many muscles you have. It doesn't matter how many degrees you have, how intelligent you are. All of us need help. All of us need help. We've got to realize who we are. I, I think if, if you, if, and this, this is kind of studying this over the years where I boiled it down, definition of humility. What is Humility. My definition is, I've kind of thought this through and and studied over the years. The best one I've found, humility is a proper estimation of self. It's when we really know who we are. John 13, and we looked at that earlier. Jesus knew where he came from, he knew where his power was from, and he knew where he was going. We saw that in John 13 a couple of weeks ago. Jesus knew who he was. He had a proper estimation of himself. 
That's, a lot of times we think that humility means we become doormats. God hasn't called us, to, he's called us to be doorkeepers, but he hasn't called us to be doormats. Jesus was not a doormat. He, there, he found, there, there were times when he knew his purpose and he would lay his life down. There also, what about the time he went in and flipped the tables over? What about the words that he spoke? Those words normally wouldn't be considered humble that he spoke to the Pharisees, right? You're, you're whited walls, you're, you're uh, sepulchers, right? Painted sepulchers. So humility doesn't just mean, it's not about self-deprecation. It's not about making yourself somebody, like a punching bag for, for people. Humility is a proper estimation of self. The word humility in, in the English language, it's, it's similar to the word human, right? Same root. The word in, in original languages, as you study this out, it comes from a word called hummus. Hummus. How many of you eat hummus? I've learned to like hummus over the years. I didn't like it my first experiences, but I do. I really like hummus now. But hummus, humility, it, it, it has the same root. The, the root of this, it means earth or dirt. Earth or dirt. That's where we get the word hummus. It means earth or dirt. Humility has the same root. Humanity has the same root. So humility, I, I think, is, is it's the understanding that God dug us up out of the dirt. It's a, remember, a reminder of where we come, came from. We, we were shaped out of the earth by the hand of God. When you remember that, when you're mindful of that, it's, it's hard to get lifted up. We were dug out, out of the earth. That doesn't mean we have to have a low estimation of ourselves because we are also we, divinely sparked. God, God breathed. Not only did he shape us out of the dirt, he breathed his life into us. And the Bible says man became a living soul. It's what separates us from all the rest of creation. Didn't say that about any other creature that God made. Will dogs be in heaven? I don't know. I'm not going to tell you no because I don't want to make anybody mad. I know some of y'all are fond of your pets. But mankind is the only cre creature with a soul, according to Scripture. The only one that it says that about that God breathed his life into us, he breathed his spirit into us, and we became living souls, right? So that, that helps us to have an understanding of what it means to be humble. When we remember, hey, God dug us out of the earth, right? Genesis chapter two, God formed man from the dust of the ground. He dug us out of the earth, and then he breathed his life into us. Humility is about coming to grips with our humanity. We have a call, every one of us, and, and, and I, I, I want you to understand this, every human being in this room has a call upon their life, every human being, because you have pastor or some title before your name, it does not make you special in God's kingdom, every single one of us are called of God. I told our young people in, in our devotion on Monday morning that the high call of God is not, not to be some, some leader, it, it's to be a child of God. It's to be a Christian. It's to be a saint. That, that's the high call of God. Yet all of us have a calling. All of us are called with a purpose. I believe that with everything that's on the inside of me. Ecclesiastes says that God set the world in the hearts of men. God, God put, and the, and the word there is oloth in, in, in the Greek, 
Cosmos would be, or in the Hebrew, cosmos would be a Greek equivalent to that. God has put the worlds, the cosmos, into the heart of man. In other words, there's, a, there's an eternal purpose that God put in our hearts. God set that there. There's, there's a battle. The enemy is fighting you. How many of you recognize that? The enemy is fighting you. See, it, it never fails. When we go to youth camp, first night, it never fails. There's that big conflict. You know what I wanted to do? I wanted to throw some kids out. First, first hey, we got to keep our, our camp safe. Let's send these kids home. First thing going through my mind, and, and like several of us scrambling, and this, I mean, this one big kid could have probably beat all of us up. We're, we're just hoping, like, okay, hopefully he will just back away. Hopefully we don't have to use any, any force here because we're in trouble if we do. He's a big dude. First response, we want to send him home. As you get things settled down and you're praying, as you walk through a situation like that, you're praying, right? And, and God's speaking to you, and you know what God's saying? Give him grace. He needs to be here. He needs what's going to happen this week. So we're able to talk through all that, all that kind of stuff. What's the point? Anytime that God is about to do something great, you know what the enemy does? He attacks. Amen. He tries to fight and discourage and get you set off course. I believe that. I've seen that happen over and over again at camp. We, we, when I was a youth, youth counselor in San Antonio, taking our youth group, fist fights on the back of those. I mean, we had two charter buses, and on the back of one of those buses, fist fight. And that fist fight brought revival. It did. It got every, every kid on that bus to repent. And it turned the trajectory. I, I, I think of young people that were on that bus. They, they're, they're in ministry. They're grown adults, and they're almost in their, uh, probably in their 30s now, serving the Lord because of what God did on the bus after that fight. So the, the enemy wants to stop what God's doing. That, that's what the big fight is over. God has put a great purpose on the inside of you. And humility is connected to that. It's not, it's, it's not, it's not self-deprecating. It's not, woe am I, I'm, I'm nothing, I'm, uh, unworthy. And people who walk around like that, they, they, they feel like they're always worthless. That, that's not what humility is about. It's understanding who we are in Christ. That yes, we were dug out of there. That keeps us grounded. But also, whew, God breathed his life into us. And there is a divine purpose that's written over each and every one of us that we are to fulfill. A, a person who walks in true humility understands both of those two things. That's what humility is really all about. When we're humble, we're down to earth. We're not pretentious. We're not, we're not trying to prove our, our, our worth. We're not trying to prove, hey, that, that, call me by my title. Like, show me some respect. We don't have to walk around like that. Even when people disrespect us, we could still be who God called us to be, right? We, we, we don't need that. We're, we're, we're down to earth. We're confident in who we are. We just walk out our calling and what God has called us to be. A humble person can be taken at face value. When you know you've been around somebody who's humble, they're, they're the same when they're preaching or when they're at lunch or when you're hanging out with them at, ha at their house or wherever you're at, they're always the same. There's consistency. They're not trying to pretend to be something. They're just the same wherever they are. Humility is, is not about a, a low self-value. It's not about a low self-esteem. It's not self-deprecating. You know what it's really about? It's about a self-awareness. It's coming to grips with who we are and then asking God to help us 
I've got a call. And, and I believe this. Listen, let me, let me, let me tell you this, church. I, I want to tell you this to help you. If what you're doing in life and what you're, if, if what you're working towards for the purposes of God does not scare you to death, you're missing it. God always calls us something that's bigger than ourselves. Every single time. Look at the disciples. Right? I mean, when they should have been at their best, when Jesus is on the cross, they're falling apart. Right? You got a doubting Thomas, a betraying Jesus. Somebody, somebody said recently, I can't remember where, that, where I heard it, but man, we, we, always, we always label people by their, their, their lowest day. Like Thomas doubted for like maybe 30 minutes or a day or something like that, and then like he, he's marked with that for the last 2,000 years, right? That's what we tend to do. When somebody messes up one time, we remember them by that one big mistake. That's not how God sees us. Amen? Thomas actually rose up to be a, 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 a great leader in the kingdom of God. But the, these men, when they should have been at their, their highest, when they should have been at their best, they were falling on their faces. I mean, can you imagine like being an onlooker at this situation? The, the Lord's form, forming his church, and then when it, like right, right on the precipice of the birth of the church, his whole team is like falling apart. Like, Jesus, did you really pick these people? That, that's the way God, God is. He doesn't choose the wise. He doesn't choose the strong, the noble. No, he chooses the humble things of the earth to move his kingdom. Remember the, what Jesus said, the saying, he said, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. There's, there's one way I like to look at this. It's, it's when, if Jesus were, were picking a, a baseball team, he would pick the person that everybody else picks last first. That's the way he rolls. You think about, all, I wonder, all of the soldiers that were arrayed and set opposing the Philistines. And what did he choose? Well, 13 or 14 year old teenage boy who came carrying a basket with cheese and toast. And he chooses that one to advance his purpose. See, God doesn't look at it the way we look at it. He always picks the, the one who you would pick first, last, and the one you would pick last, first. That's the way he goes. He doesn't look at things the way that we look at things. Right? He chooses the humble. He chooses the lowly. So I want to take you to a passage in, in Peter. Peter chapter 5. We've looked at this passage. We read several verses around this passage over the last several weeks. But I, I want to focus in on an idea here. First Peter chapter five, verse five and six. And I want to thank the Alexanders for bringing me an apron this morning. You would not believe how hard it is to find an apron. I was in every store in Clarksville and Jeffersonville today, this morning, looking for an apron. In fact, I was in my garage last night looking for an apron. I've got an apron. It's a painting apron. I've used it for like five years. It's nasty. It's covered in paint. All kinds. I don't even know what's on that thing. Sheetrock, joint compound. 
I looked and looked and looked for that thing last night, couldn't find it. I think my wife threw it away because it's so nasty. That's the conclusion I came to. The, the, the better reality is probably just it's my disorganization in my garage with all my tools. I couldn't find it. But here, here's a, a picture for this passage of Scripture. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, it says, Likewise, younger, submit yourselves to the elder. Yes, all of you, be subject to one another. Be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. He, he calls us here to be clothed with humility. And the, the word there, to be clothed, it means to not or to band, like, like this, like to gird, like to tie yourself in it. Clothe yourself in humility. I wish I had that nasty, dirty apron full of paint because it would better illustrate this. But thank you for bringing this, Kristen. This is Sean's apron. This is his famous beef brisket apron, probably. We're called to clothe ourselves in it. Put it on and don't take it off. See, usually you'd wear this in the kitchen or you'd wear it in the workshop, but when it's time to go to town, you'd take it off. But he says, clothe yourself. Gird yourself. Again, the, the wording, not or band, by which two things are fastened together, to fasten or gird to oneself. Clothe yourself in humility. We live in a culture where it seems like arrogance moves everything. The more arrogant you are, the more success that you can have. Right? Look at, look at athletes. We can go through long lists, and, and they're just arrogant braggadocious, cocky, and making $200 million, and there's, there's still not enough. Look at politicians. We could go through Democrats and Republicans. Lifted up, proud, arrogant. And it seems that the more proud we are, the more success in this world we have. But it's not so in the kingdom of God. We are called to clothe ourselves with humility, to put it on, just like Jesus did. He put on humanity. You think once he was born, there was no turning back. He set himself on a course towards a cross. He clothed himself in humanity, and he was obedient even to the point of death. This Christian is what God calls us. This is the lifestyle that God calls us to, not to be humble on some days, Be humble on Sunday mornings. Be humble as long as everybody's nice to you. Right? No, he calls us to clothe ourselves in humility, to put it on like a garment, right? This is our identity, a humble people. And we, we want to argue with folks. We want to boast we want to, this is just, it's human nature. How many of you are good at boasting? Anybody? We all are in ways. We boast about different things, but we're all good about boasting. Right? And, and we, we wouldn't want to admit this. Even if we don't boast verbally, we live a boastful life. I, I said last week, 
a quote, it's one of my favorite all-time quotes, that a day without prayer is a boast against God. Boasting, is, it's this attitude that says, you know what, God, I'm good. I've got this one. I've done this a thousand times. I don't need your help. It's just another Sunday morning sermon. I've got this, Jesus. Don't need your help. And then what happens? Pride comes before the fall. This example is given to us, John 13. I, I want to go back to it. We looked at it a couple of weeks ago, but it, it's, it's the perfect illustration of this. John 13, verse 2 says, Supper being ended, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God, and that he was going to God. He rose from supper. He laid aside his garments. To me, this is just a beautiful picture of the incarnation. Laying aside his royal robe. The crown. And the Bible says, what did he do? He took a towel and he girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel with which he was girded. Let's have a good old-fashioned foot washing. How many of you grew up with foot washing services? I got a friend who pastors, and their, their dad is still around, and their dad always wants to have foot washing services. And so he'll call, he'll ask him to call foot washing service, and nobody, wants, nobody shows up for foot washing service. <laughs> but Jesus, you think about this. This is the creator of the world. And he's showing his disciples, those, those who would go on to lead the early church, what leadership looks like. This, this is God's plan, that he humbled himself, became a man, and died for his creation, served his creation. And this is Jesus showing us the most beautiful illustrated sermon possible as he washes these disciples' feet. Church, we're, we're called to clothe ourselves in humility, it's the example of Jesus Christ to all of us to be humble, not to try to exalt ourselves, not striving, not boasting, but humbling ourselves. As you read through Scripture, it, it, you, it, you see this. It, it's the theme of the Scripture. Yielding, surrendering, humbling ourselves. It's the remedy for our sin. It's the remedy for our pride. It's the remedy for our boasting that we would clothe ourselves in humility. Church, this is what God's calling us, each and every one of us, to do. This is the lifestyle that God calls us to, to humble ourselves. You think about Naaman, the great commander of the, the Syrian army, and the prophet told him, if you want to be healed, you've got to go dip yourself. He couldn't humble himself. You think about it. That's a picture of pride and arrogance. 
That's a picture of us exalting ourselves, demanding that we get it our way. You think about it. How, how do we do that? Think about our pride and our arrogance, demanding our rights, demanding to have it our way, demanding that people recognize us, demanding that people thank us, demanding all of this stuff that we demand. Do we see this in Jesus? Is this the way that he led? No, he said, don't think that the Son of Man came to be served. The Son of Man came to serve and to give his life away, a ransom. I, I believe that a, a, a lot of the reason that we saw the results that we saw this week again is because there were so many that were just willing to serve. They were willing to take off their vacation weeks, their vacation days, and come and serve young people. They were willing to stand in the kitchen and butter toast, wash dishes. Whenever we serve, great things happen. Amen? And that's the way to greatness. Not because you sit on a throne, not because your name's in lights, not because you've got a title, but because you're willing to serve. The kingdom of God moves through our service. Church, I implore you to live this lifestyle. We've got an awesome time coming up this, this next month of worship, gathering together in, in special services, Saturday nights. And I'm, I'm encouraging, bring, bring folks. How are you going get to get them here? Again, I, I compel you, serve them. Take somebody to dinner. Mow somebody's yard. Do something for someone. Serve somebody. There's a misnomer. You know, we, 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 we aspire for the wrong things in God's kingdom. People, people like want, man, let, let me sing. Let me stand on the stage and let everybody hear me sing my song. Or let me get up and preach. Let, let me let you in on a secret. If you've never preached, it is the most unfulfilling experience of your life. All of y'all are standing there right now judging me. <laughs> or sitting, I should say. You're sitting there judging me. Should I believe it or not? Is this a good message this Sunday or not? All the eyes are on you. Everybody's judging you. Then all the critical, for, for every kind remark you get, you get 20 unkind. Kind of like Jesus. Like one came back and said thank you. The other nine just, eh. Preach another sermon. It's unfulfilling. I'm going to tell you, the, the, the largest audience I ever stood for, thousands, stood before thousands. You know, you know what I felt like afterwards? Walking out on the highway and getting run over by a car. That's what I wanted to do. Serious. That's the feeling that comes. You think this is going to fulfill you? It won't. But I'll tell you this, after a week of washing dishes, buttering toast, playing lifeguard at the pool, playing cameraman. I don't know what all we did. Tearing down, setting up. You know what? Joy. Joy. Satisfaction. 
Jesus Christ turned, the king, the, turn, turned man's mind and man's ways upside down when he brought his kingdom. Jesus' kingdom is countercultural. Everybody's trying to exalt themselves. Everybody's trying to get positions. Everybody's striving for recognition. Everybody's trying to get needs met. And the reality of the way that we find fulfillment isn't humbling ourselves. Demanding that we get our way doesn't satisfy. Advancing our agenda doesn't satisfy. You know what happens when your, advan- your agenda gets advanced? You're, you're longing for the next agenda. It doesn't satisfy. Giving your life away. Humbling yourself. Serving. That satisfies. Amen? Amen? Humble yourself. That's the appeal of this book. Church with conflict. I I would love, I I wish there was a follow-up, like Philippians part two. I would like to see the results of what the Apostle Paul taught that church. Like, we're, we're not given any indication of what happened after he wrote this epistle. But I can only imagine if Yodi and Syntyche humbled themselves and served if that church put aside its differences and loved each other and served each other, I, I can only imagine that it's, there's a good report. You advancing your agenda is not going to satisfy you. You striving for recognition is not going to satisfy you. You know what will satisfy you? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He humbled himself. Though he was God, didn't think it a thing to be equal with God. He didn't consider that, one translation said he didn't consider that something to, be, to cling to or to grasp onto, but he let it go, was born of a woman, and was obedient to the purpose of God. Church, that's satisfying. Every person who's ever been used by God walked in humility. You think about, I was thinking about this, Moses. God calls him and goes, can you imagine going before Pharaoh, the the Egyptian kingdom, after you fled for murder? and God calls you back, you have to humble yourself to go back. Can you imagine leading the people of God out and the the army chasing you? You are totally humble in that moment, totally reliant. God, if if you don't do something here, I have no idea what you've got planned, but if you don't do it, we're done. It's a place of humility. It's a place of surrender. It's a, a, a place of total and complete yielding. Can you imagine David stepping out in front of Goliath? No no armor, no weaponry other than a sling and some stones. That's a picture of humility. When we're humble, we put ourselves in places of vulnerability. We put ourselves in a position of total reliance on God. 
We put ourselves in a position where we're saying, I'm not, I'm not worried about provision. I'm not worried about outcome. I'm not worried about any of those things. I'm just entrusting myself to you. This does not, humility always puts us in positions that don't make sense. I mean, come on, serve your enemies. Does that really make sense to our human minds? Bless those who curse us. Does that make any sense to us? But God calls us to this place of humility because his kingdom works in a way that is totally contrary to our fallen sinful ways. Humble yourself. Clothe yourself in it. Put on your apron and don't take it off. Yeah, I know you're going to go to town and you want everybody to see your bling bling. Keep your apron on. In a bling bling culture, you know what verse we need to hear? 1 Peter 5, 5. Clothe yourself in humility. Oh, but, but they got to see my bling. We, we, we got a culture these days, like preachers and sneakers. How many of you have seen that? It's like they're, they're wearing these $2,000 tennis shoes, preachers. That's not what God's called us to be. Amen. Humble yourself. Put on your, your smock. Put on your apron. In the midst of a bling bling, make yourself of no reputation in a selfie culture. That's the call. It runs counterculture, but that's what God, church, is calling us to. We want to see revival? Humble ourselves. Humility is the key to receiving everything that God has. Blessing, favor, you name it. Humility is key. That's the sermon for today. Let, let's stand together. We're going to take communion today. This is what God has called us to. He's called us to humble ourselves. I've been working on this since January. This, this, folks, is the apex of this book. We're, we're going to continue to move through Philippians, but if we don't get this, nothing else matters. This is the heart of the book. This is the focus. I've spent time on this on purpose. This is the third week on humility. I spent time on it. We've got to understand that. We've got to grasp this. We've got to begin to embrace this. I'm moving on. I'm not going to be preaching on humility next week, but listen, church, again, I want to, I want to remind you, let, let's humble ourselves. In a culture that is exalting itself in pride, let's humble ourselves. Let's seek the Lord. Have we had enough of doing it our way? Trying to advance by our means. Humble ourselves. Let's humble ourselves. Let's humble ourselves to the ways of God. Let's, let's recognize that our ways are inadequate. Our wisdom is inadequate. I believe this. I believe that God is going to put those of you who are willing to go.
into positions where you realize I don't have the resources to be here and do what God's calling me to do. I don't have the finances. I don't have the training. I'm totally inadequate. And yet you're going to recognize God's calling you there. And God's going to use you. You're going to find yourself doing things that you had no idea that you could even do. He's going to give you supernatural wisdom. Provision will come. How many times in the Bible do we see people moving on the word of God when the provision was not there, yet God provided every single time? Church, I believe that's where we're at. We have to come to a place of reliance, absolute, complete, and total reliance upon God. Not in our own self-sufficiency, not in our own knowledge. We have to realize, you know what? I'm just a man dug up out of the earth. But then again, God is breathing on me. And there's a purpose that is greater than me and beyond me. And I am in humility, in obedience, just like it says of Jesus, stepping out into what God has for me. Amen. I'm going to ask the ushers to come and to serve us.